Welcome to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. This week, we wrap up our series in the letter of James, and we'll discover the actions we are to live as people of faith. We'll be encouraged to have good faith and how to live together as a community as we are faithful to God. Have any of you heard the term bad faith before? Bad faith, now you might be thinking, oh, of course, you're going to talk about bad faith. It's church. No, not, not faith in Jesus Christ, not faith in religion. The concept of bad faith is the idea that somebody comes to a circumstance saying that they are there for something, but in reality have different intentions or motives coming in bad faith. So an example of this often shows up in, uh, in business transactions, right? A person comes and says, I'm going to put an offer on the table, knowing that they're not actually going to follow through that offer. They're there in bad faith. What's the reasoning for putting an offer on the table but actually not intending to buy anything? Well, it could be A, it makes them feel good, I don't know. Or most likely it's to drive up the price because another person or competitor is about to try and make the same purchase, right? So this, this happens in uh, corporate takeovers. This happens in uh, real estate. It happens, <laughs> it happens on the Facebook marketplace. Is this available? Yes. Can you deliver it to me? No, it says Pick up yourself. Read the thing. Stop coming to me in bad faith. No, I'm just joking. Uh, if any of you ever sold something on Facebook, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> it's a, uh, it, it can be a struggle sometimes. Now, we also see this in politics. Uh, there's these, the, I've seen people come to debates saying, yeah, I'm interested in finding out more about this. They're not. In fact, they are entrenched in their own position. They're not there to learn. They're just there to go through the motions. They are there in bad faith. This past week, we experienced it with Vladimir Putin, who said, I'm not going to occupy Ukraine. He think he said it on Wednesday. They invaded on Thursday. That's bad faith. On a more personal level, we can be bad faith actors in our relationships with each other. Have you ever told somebody, yeah, we really need to get together sometime? And eh, you just say it. <laughs> You're not really intending to get together with them. You're just like, ah, yeah, this is the right thing to say at this moment, but I'm actually not going to try to figure this out until the phones or the calendars come out to put the date down. <laughs> you can't trust people, right? No. Or there's moments, too, where we say, hey, I'm here for you anytime. And when they call, you don't pick up. We can act in bad faith with each other. And sadly, bad faith has become a very normal part of how we interact with one another. Because in some realms, like for example, in the business realms and even in the political realms, we 
by we, I mean as a society, sort of hold those people up as models. Oh, look, they're standing straight. Oh, they're just being, they're just being staunchy about contracts and all these things. Good for them. We can. We can put those kinds of ways and means of bad faith acting on a pedestal. And believe it or not, we can act in bad faith even within the church. I've experienced it times and times again. Today, James shares how important good faith is. Yes, that's a play on words, but also truly being there in good faith. In fact, a part of our passage will rely on good faith, having honest and open intentions for the life of the church to work. So today, as we finish up this series in James, you might have gone home from a number of these, or maybe you listened online or however it might be, and you felt like, James, you're not giving us exactly like how. Like, you've challenged me in these pieces, and you've, you've caused me to maybe rethink how I see people or how I treat people, but you haven't been like, hey, do this. Everything today is legitimately, y'all do this. James is going to say, y'all. So we're going to listen to Jim today. Thank you. Somebody got the joke. Thank you. We're going to listen to Jim today. <laughs> And he is going to give us instructions for how we live faithfully to Christ together. We will get answers to these two questions. What does a community governed by Jesus' faith and the law of love look like? And how do we speak and act with one another in the faith community? So let us read together James chapter 5 beginning with verse 12. Most important, my brothers and sisters, never make a solemn pledge, neither by heaven nor earth nor by anything else. Instead, speak with a simple yes or no, or else you may fall under judgment. If any of you are suffering, they should pray. If any of you are happy, they should sing. If any of you are sick, they should call for the elders of the church and the elders should pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. Prayer that comes from faith will heal the sick, for the Lord will restore them to health. And if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. For this reasons, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful in what it can achieve. Elijah was a person just like us, and when he earnestly prayed that it wouldn't rain, no rain fell for three and a half years. He prayed again, and God sent rain, and the earth produced its fruit. My brothers and sisters, if any of you wander from the truth and someone turns back the wanderer, recognize that whoever brings a sinner back from the wrong path will save them from death, and will bring about the forgiveness of many sins. A lot of instructions. We'll try, to, we'll try to visit each of them as comprehensively and yet briefly as possible. But I just want to remind each of us as we hear these instructions, 
James has shared with us with this entire letter, this general epistle. It's not to the Corinthians. It's not to the church down the street from us. It is legitimately a letter for all believers. And his goal has always been, this is what faith in Jesus looks like. Very practical. It's a very practical book. But faith, as a pure, like as, an, as the easiest way to be reminded of what it is, is going to God for all parts of life. It's going to God for your conduct. It's going to God for the way that you see the world. It's going to God for the very things that you have, that you've been given, your resources, your, your life, your family, your friends. Everything comes from God. And when you find yourself in a place where you're not sure exactly what to do, go to him. That's what faith is. And today in the instructions, he really does offer how you go to God. How do I come to God? How do I rely on God for life? And how do I rely on God for the community that he has put in my life? faith community. And it starts with verse 12, which has to be true for all the rest of this to work. And what James talks about is simply live in good faith. Well, how do I live in good faith? How do I completely go to God for everything? How do I do all these kinds of things? And he says something that might cause us to be a little uh, unsure about. He says, don't make a solemn pledge. Maybe your translation, never make oaths. Why in the world would he talk about pledges and oaths? I mean, we have good oaths in the world. We have marriage. We have, um, I think the Hippocratic oath is a great oath. I mean, I'd hope. <laughs> Doctors are cause, yeah. I'm going to always work on a person and try to heal them, no matter if they are the person that did a terrible thing, right? That's what the Hippocratic Oath is about, right? Why would James say, don't make a solemn pledge, don't make oaths? And the reason is, is because throughout the entirety of Scripture, this is actually a normal thing that is said. It's because when you have an oath to something, to someone, to a power, to an organization, to a nation. When you have these oaths, it causes you to be in conflict when God says, do this. Your allegiance, our allegiance, is to be to God and God alone. Otherwise, when God says, hey, uh, Sell all of your possessions and follow me. <laughs> the yes becomes a lot harder because maybe your allegiance has been to making something for yourself, right? Accruing wealth. We can make oaths, we can commit, make commitments to ourselves. Like many of us have plenty of selfish allegiances, but we also have these allegiances within our lives. It's ironic that you guys just became members today. <laughs> it's why in the Church of the Nazarene, when we read this, we actually have a piece that says you cannot be a member of a secret society 
and be a church and be a member in the church of the Nazarene because we don't know what those secret societies are aiming to do. Now, the only secret society that I really know about is the Masons. I mean, that's really about it. Um, but that's, that's a piece of it. That oath that you have made can get, come into conflict with the way that God wants you to live and to your relationship with others who are faithful to God. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. We are committed to simple, honest communication. That has to be it. You cannot have motivations outside of being faithful to Christ in the church. Otherwise, it will throw everything else off. Because as you begin to look at the other instructions James talks about, he says, pray, sing, confess your sins. Bring people back who have left the faith. These are things, friends, that are messy. They are sometimes filled with conflict. And if we have ulterior motives, if we come in bad faith, we can use these things to our advantage and create more problems within the church. For us to be good prayers, for us to be a good community, we must be good faith actors. And our allegiance is to God and God alone. Luke Timothy Johnson, I think, says it really, really well. James forbids oaths because he desires a community of solidarity based on mutual trust. The church is to be a place of trust. And the only way for us to be a trustworthy place is if we are all here in good faith. We are not here with our own agenda. We're not here with our other motives. We're not here with other particular parts of our lives that we are aligned with and we're trying to force it into the life of Jesus. If you have a community of mutual trust, then guess what? These things, these instructions work out really well, believe it or not. So then James calls for the community to be a people of prayer. How many of you have ever gotten sick before? How many of you have ever been sinful before? How many of you have ever sinned? Yes, every hand should be up. Because of this, what do we do when these things come into our life? What happens when it comes into the community? What happens when it's your wife or it's your friend? That, what happens? James simply says, pray. Pray. And praying, I think we struggle with sometimes because I think we're so used to prayer being I need to bring this in front of God. And we just rattle off all the stuff that we like, hey, God, help us with this, 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 this. And then whenever he says no about the one thing, we're like, me, 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 me. 
But prayer is bigger than just complaining. Prayer is bigger than getting this off my chest. Prayer isn't just speech. It's actually an action. It is the posture that we not only give things to God, but we open ourselves up for what God wants to do through us. We talked about this a little bit yesterday in our discipleship group as we were playing disc golf and getting very muddy. What do you do in moments of war and you say, I'm going to pray for Ukraine? It feels so helpless, does it not? But it's an action. It's an action that has consequences, that has results in ways that we have no idea. So when we pray for peace, we not only pray that people would come to their senses or people would would change, but maybe there's a miraculous moment where like, I have done something wrong. This ain't right. And that's not done by us who live in Ohio. That's done by God being in all places. But it's not just the big stuff, it's also the small stuff. When we're angry at somebody, a posture of prayer is often where God meets you I can't tell you how many times I've been mad at the beginning of a prayer session and at the end, I wasn't anymore. It's a posture that allows God to work within us. Prayer is that active way of faith. You legitimately turn to God for everything. So how important is prayer? It's essential. For us to live lives of faith, we have to pray. This is why, because prayer is where speech and action come together. It is an action of speech that lets God provide and moves us to live in the ways he provides. There will be times that you will come out of prayer and all of a sudden the West African proverb becomes very, very very real to you. It's on the next slide, by the way. When you pray, move your feet. But then, there's also times that you will come out of prayer, and God, you'll just have this peace or this something. Say, Maybe I don't need to do something right here. Maybe I don't need to go mess this up. Be still and know that I am God. If prayer only looks like one of those things, I'm telling you, there's a whole other part of prayer that you're missing out on. Prayer isn't just giving everything, it's also receiving from God what he has for you to do and be in every moment. Lastly, prayer isn't just saying what we need, It moves us to do what he calls us to do and be still in moments he moves for us. It shapes us in God's forgiveness, reconciliation, and healing. This is why James explicitly says, somebody's sick, pray for them. God can do something. Hey, have you sinned? Pray. You will receive forgiveness in that prayer. Is somebody else struggling with a circumstance? Pray. Come together and give it to God 
And maybe, just maybe, that person that you've been praying for, God will say, hey, you need to go and do something for them. Prayer is speech and it's action together. And it's us going to God for everything. Every little thing. How you buy. How you buy things. Big transitions in life. Like jobs. Schools. And yeah, it's sometimes saying, Lord, help me to say the right things to my spouse today. And sometimes it's, Lord, how do I deal with this conflict that I have with my friend or my family member? It's all of it. It's all of it. This is what prayer does. And prayer, friends, works in mysterious ways. In ways that in the moment that you're praying, you're like, this is not going to end well. And then it ends completely different than what you thought it was going to. I, by nature, am a person that says, this isn't going to work. Can't tell you how many times God made it work. And I'm like, thanks, God. I'm happy to be wrong. And we pray in this way because every single one of us deals with sickness. Every single one of us deals with sins. Every single one of us deals with pain and suffering and injustice of this world that's filled with sin and sickness. So we have to pray. Pray individually, pray together, pray for each other. And in the moments that something wonderful happens, like a healing or somebody gives their sin over to God, you know what we do? We sing. We're joyful. We celebrate. We do awesome things. Things that are not productive in the world around us. Anybody ever look at you and say, why do you go to, why do you go to church and you hang out for an hour and you sing and you pray? Like, it seems so unproductive. I got a slow drain in my bathroom. I should be doing that on Sunday mornings, not going to a, and sitting in the church. And That's the next piece, y'all. The world thinks it as being unproductive. The reality is, is that God works through these things that we do as a faith community. It puts us in the right place individually. It brings us together in new relationship. It causes us to give all things to God. And we're thankful for the things that he has done. And we're thankful for the stuff that he did that we might not have liked. But we recognize it was the right thing to do. If you're not honest, though, prayer can easily become manipulative. It can become controlling. It can become a lot of things. The next piece that he tells us to do is say, hey, confess your sins to another. What, what now, James? <laughs> you sure about this? He, he prefaces this with saying, hey, if you prayed to God to ask for forgiveness, guess what? Your sins are forgiven. You hear that? Sins are forgiven. So confessing your sins to another person doesn't, it's not going to do anything to you. You're forgiven. 
Why don't we confess our sins to each other in the church? You know why? Because bad faith actors exist in our church. Because we have seen people get kicked out of the church for the sins that they confess to somebody. We are running around scared of people in the church because they have their own agendas. They have their own expectations. They have, maybe we have, ulterior motives that we use. Do you see how important verse 12 is in coming in good faith? You cannot confess sins to each other. It's not a safe place. If somebody comes into the church and says, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I also want to do this, this, that, these, and those, I'm here to get my power. I'm here to get my responsibility. I'm here to get my privileges. I'm here to get to heaven. That's exactly how people leave the faith. Because we had ulterior motives. We had bad faith. But James says that the church is to be a place of safety where you can confess your sins because you know what? I sinned, you sinned, we all sinned. Let's go get ice cream. No. But we're also forgiven. That forgiveness allows us not to judge each other and to not use each other's sins for our own gain. Confession has found its way out of the church because we have not acted in good faith. But here's the deal. Confession is scary, but there's a huge, huge upside to it, and it's this. Sarah McGee says it this way. Confession is not always an easy practice. Yet the most healing and freeing thing is when we unload the baggage that has been holding us down and it takes vulnerability to share deeply on both an individual and a corporate level. Confession is what sets us free because none of us can address and properly handle what we do not know. If you have sinned, and you ask for forgiveness from God, you might feel a little bit better, but I'm telling you, there's something different about speaking it out to somebody else and saying, I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to be here with you to get out of this temptation, to stop this sin, to lean into it. There's acceptance there. We journey with each other in good faith. The church is to be the safest place for sinners to share what they have done wrong, to share struggles, to share difficulties. It requires authenticity, it requires vulnerability, it requires humility. But when we confess, we go to God in prayer together. And we rely on God to move. And again, if you confess, guess what? You might be the person to help that person struggling with that sin. Yeah, I went through this too. 
me share with you what, what happened with me. We have, a, like, we have addiction programs completely based on confession and leaning on each other. We have to do that in the church. Sin is as addictive as it gets. So pray, celebrate the good things, bring about healing in people's lives, confess your sins, and lastly, my final instructions are to you, go get those who wandered away from the faith. Shepherd left the 99 to go get the one, right? But notice he doesn't say, hey, pastors, it's all on you. Make sure you call those people who haven't been at church in how long? No, no, this is the church, y'all. Go and get those who have walked away from the faith. And what I'm so, I get so discouraged by is that there are, there are people who believe that means going to them and speaking hard truths in a judgmental manner. We go and get those who wander because, quite frankly, we could have been one of the reasons why that person left the faith. It's why confession is so important as a Christian. It's why prayer is so important as a Christian. We are to bring grace and love and truth to those who have been wandering. I've been very much frustrated with how many religious people have been demonizing people who are going through deconstruction. If you don't know what deconstruction is, it's just a word for saying, I'm not sure the faith that I was raised up in is actually happening in the church, and I'm not sure if I can be a part of it. That's what deconstruction is. It's having doubts. It's having faith. The church is to be the place where people can figure out their doubts in a safe space with people who love and will pray and journey together. A few months ago, we put names on a board that we've been praying for particularly people who we know who do not know God. Have you been praying for them? Has God poked you and said, hey, why don't you invite them to church? Because sometimes prayer means that you walk and do what you're praying about. When was the last time that you talked to this person with love and grace and invited them to the faith? Friends, some of these things might seem small. Like some of you might be going like, why doesn't James have like the the (laughs) step-by-step program to solve the issues with with the wealth disparities that we've seen? Because he talks about wealth how many times in this book, right? Where's that? 
Where's the whole step-by-step to address world hunger? Where's that at? See, that's the thing is that faith is not based in these grand aspirations. It's actually in these small movements of giving ourselves to God. Prayer is small. Confession is small. Being honest and authentic is small. We're not going to influence Vladimir Putin by that, are we? God works through these things. And we have to have the good faith to participate in them so that God would work in the world and work in us, his church. And so everything that James has talked about, being humble, not showing favoritism, having good speech, taking care of those, all of this is wrapped up in these practices. These practices will lead you to people who are hurting, to people who are hungry, to people who are naked, to people who are suffering, to people who are sinful, to people who just need God. It's prayer, it's confession, it's being honest, it's being vulnerable, it's being authentic, it's going and inviting others. You have to do all of these things with all of the fruits that James has talked about. So, humility, authenticity, vulnerability, communal responsibility, commitment to God's way and truth are all essential in prayer, healing, forgiveness, confession, reconciliation, and invitation. You want to see people that come to know Christ, be a humble, being honest person about your own struggles. (sighs) That's scary. It's not like Jesus walked the easiest road. We follow in his footsteps. We must have humility, authenticity, vulnerability, responsibility, and commitment because if we don't, praying and celebrating and healing and all of those things will turn into something that God designed it not to be. We'll be acting in ways of bad faith instead of good faith. And in the moments that we might be afraid to do this, just remember this. James has been reminding us every single week. God gives good gifts. He's good. He's not asking you to do this thing by yourself. He's asking you to do it, to trust him to provide in ways that you've never thought about before. That is what faith is. That is what good faith is. As we close, do you know who models good faith really well? Children. I mean, not teenagers. Teenagers are like, like here's good and here's bad and here's teen. No, I'm just joking. Uh, <laughs> I'm just joking around. I love teens. But children, in their innocence, often are models of good faith. You know how I know? My little girl has a little cut on her foot 
she asks me to kiss it. Kissing a wound is actually a terrible thing. There's so much bacteria in my mouth. It's terrible. But you know what? She has good faith that my kiss will make it better. She does. It's a small thing. It's not even the right thing to do. It's a small thing, but she believes it will make it better. If you're sick and they have a doctor's set, you know what they do? You know what kids do? They come up to you. You're like on the couch. Oh, here, daddy, let me hear your heart. That stethoscope barely works. But they have good faith. They have faith that they can make you better. You ever asked a kid to do something? Again, this is before a certain age. I get that. But even my daughter, hey, could you take this into the other room? Just all greats of pride and joy. Yes, dad. This is where parents wonder, whatever happened to children, children labor? No, I'm just joking. But lastly, I want to share with you a tweet that I read this week. And this was the ultimate act of good faith by a kid. This is a dad. Just some random dad that I, I, I don't know, the algorithm pushed it to me. Probably because I've been looking at Ukraine a lot this week. But this is what he said. This morning I prayed with my five-year-old for peace in the Ukraine. And then he said, I bet they will be so happy when God gives them peace. And I marveled at the simple trust of a child who loves to pray to his heavenly father. May we foolish, educated adults find that simple faith. I'm going to pray for faith, or I'm going to pray for peace, and it's going to happen to that kid. We feel hopeless sometimes in those moments, but that five-year-old, peace is coming. God's bringing peace. Obviously, the five-year-old has no idea about geopolitical tensions and all these other kinds of things, NATO and yada, yada, yada. doesn't matter. Trusts God to move in a way to bring peace. That's good faith, y'all. May we, may we be people of good faith, open, honest, vulnerable, responsible for each other, living in love, doing the things that look really weird to the rest of the world, that don't look that productive. But it's in these moments where God works. God works in ways that we don't even know, and God might push us to do something new that we never thought we would ever do before. This is the faith that God has given to us, and this is why James has offered all of these truths as he has. God will provide. Trust him. Have good faith in him. And we will live in love and in hope and joy and in peace. In all times and in all places and with all people. Thanks for listening to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. We hope you were inspired by this week's message. We'd love for you to join us on a Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We are located at 3924 High Street Northwest in Warren, Ohio. 
You can also join us on Facebook Live. For more information about our ministries, or if you'd like to contribute to our ministries online, visit us at championnaz.org.